and welcome to the podcast for the journal Integrated Environmental Assessment and Management, better known as IEAM. I'm Jenny Shaw. The April 2016 issue of IEAM contains a special series on the restoration of impaired ecosystems. Five articles are from a CTAC workshop co-chaired by Aida Farag and Ruth Hull, who are both with us today to discuss some of the important aspects of the work. Hi, Aida. Hi, Ruth. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Hi there. Happy to be here. So the title of the workshop asks the rhetorical question, an ounce of prevention or a pound of cure? Ruth, would you explain that phrase? Sure. Actually, it's Benjamin Franklin, I think, who is attributed with saying this, although it was about fire safety. And it's saying that it's better to keep something bad from happening than to fix it once it has happened. And one theme that gets repeated throughout the manuscripts in this series is that it is more effective to think about the end game during the planning stages of a project. That is, if you've got a contaminated site that is going to be rehabilitated, think early on about what this site could look like once any remediation and restoration is done. And what can it look like or what should it look like? Planning for that early on helps with the early assessment phases, with communications with stakeholders and regulators. It focuses your data collection and so many other activities in the whole process. Leaving it to the end could mean a lot of extra work. Um, for example, if the right data haven't been collected or um, the conditions haven't been created for the desired restoration prescription. So a little planning at the beginning can save a lot of time, money, and frustration later in the process. And it can help with relationships with stakeholders, regulators, and the entire team. It's a, it's actually kind of surprising to me that there isn't more of that already built into the procedures. I'm not sure how many other people are in the same boat as I am, thinking that this is already something that people think about during the process of restoration. They you know, they've got an end goal, they're incorporating it into every step of the process, but it sounds like that's actually not what's currently happening. It's not actually. Uh, typically what happens is um, the whole site assessment and management process ends up being very linear and every step in the process is like its own little silo with its own team and each step doesn't talk to the next, the people in the next step. And uh, what we're trying to say with our papers is that the site assessment and management process shouldn't be a series of independent, isolated tasks that have no overlap or integration of the team through the design. Typically now, there's one team of consultants. They go out and they do the site characterization. And then there's a separate team and they'll do the risk assessment and probably a separate team doing an injury assessment. And another team will do the remediation and someone completely different will start at that point new to the site and start to address the rehabilitation and restoration. There are so many inefficiencies and also potential conflicts when you have this, this siloed approach. But there really is no guidance or, and very little precedent for integrating it all at the beginning. And we are suggesting that by thinking of your goals and your stakeholders, your monitoring results, and being open to adaptive management throughout the life of the site, you can optimize so many aspects 
of the site assessment and management process. And this can save time and money in data collection and should actually be able to help you complete your rehabilitation and restoration activities sooner and have a more positive relationship with stakeholders and with the public. So then the the introductory paper describes mm-hmm. a continuum for this process, a continuum for restoration. Tell us more about that concept. Yeah, this is exactly it. It ties right into the theme of early planning, but it also is more encompassing because it is highlighting the benefits of continuously thinking about the end game, uh, the final restoration condition, during the entire site assessment and management process. Right from the the very beginning, the first site evaluations, the risk assessments, through the remediation and reclamation, and on to the implementation of the restoration design. The benefit of thinking about this as a continuum is that it reminds us that we need to be constantly thinking about things like our goals, our planning, our stakeholder input, uh, monitoring results and be open to using that adaptive management to respond to any challenges or opportunities as they arise throughout the whole process. It's very infrequent when something goes always according to plan, as you imagine at the beginning. So you have to be flexible. And by including all the different stakeholders and participants all the way through, you can be flexible. And that's the idea of having the continuum as opposed to having this linear process. Just to wrap up, What were the the take-home messages from these papers? Yeah, we had a lot. Um, First and foremost, that goal setting, assessment, remediation, restoration design, monitoring, adaptive management, stakeholder consultation, and other activities should occur as needed throughout the life of the project. Presence of contaminants will influence the choice of ecosystem restoration goals. Social, economic, and cultural concerns must be factored in when setting those restoration goals, and these goals must be realistic relative to the conditions at the site. And when we're doing restoration, we need to think about structure and function, and that means both the biodiversity and functions like primary productivity, decomposition, trophic interactions, and so forth. And we'd like to encourage people to be creative with our approaches to optimizing resources and overcoming scientific and financial limitations that we sometimes find in site assessment or in management and restoration. For example, there may be opportunities to collaborate with proponents at nearby sites. And so we'd also like to encourage a regional focus to restoration activities, see what's happening in the area. And... Monitoring. Monitoring must occur throughout the ecological restoration process. Some people have said that monitoring is the first thing to be cut from the budget, and we stress it as false economy to do that. One needs to know how things are progressing. It, it really sounds like a lot of this was more restoration informing the assessment and remediation process. Were there any points or bits of information coming from the assessment side that would inform the restoration process? Yeah, it's very interesting that you asked that question because you're absolutely right. Restoration is needed to inform the assessment process. And from the other direction, what we see is that if restoration 
proceed without the knowledge of ecotoxicology, we can open up a situation where we might do more harm than good. And that was one of the things that I saw early on in the SER community. Restoration knowledge is great, but they considered the ecotoxicology to be very separate. And when you're doing a restoration, even if you think the site has been cleaned up, you need that contaminant knowledge to continue to monitor and understand that. And in some situations, you can't get rid of the contaminant completely. And in those cases, you really need that ecotoxicology, risk assessment, and monitoring to come in and help the restoration effort. Potentially, you, you might need to limit access by the public to a certain site. Or not limit access, but limit the type of access, the type of interaction that humans might have on a, a particularly um, difficult this is great. Thanks so much, Aida. Oh, thank you. Thanks for doing this. I hope people get as excited about the topic and the manuscripts as we are. We write manuscripts, and we hope that they have practical value for people that are on the ground doing this restoration. That's, that's really the important thing. We'd also like to urge those who are involved with contaminated sites to not only consider implementing all of these approaches and best practices, but also publishing their challenges and successes of such efforts so that others can also learn and move the science and the practice forward even further than we've brought it. So I really hope people enjoy the six papers in this series. I think they will. And some have already, we've already been hearing some great feedback on these papers. So job well done to both you and Aida. Wonderful. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Aida Farag and Ruth Hull discuss the special series, Restoration of Impaired Ecosystems, An Ounce of Prevention or a Pound of Cure. Access the series in the April 2016 issue of IEAM. Just go to ctacjournals.org. I'm Jenny Shaw, and thank you for listening to the IEAM podcast.